Well, we've been working for a while through this series. Um, it's, we've called it the walk of life. And uh, in reality, what we've done, if you've been able to come along for most of it, what you'll have noticed is we've been working through a particular section of the Bible. It's the first sermon that Jesus uh, preached on a mountainside out in the open. Uh, initially, it would seem as though he was particularly concerned to engage uh, with his disciples, and undoubtedly there were others who listened on as he was uh, delivering this address. Um, it's called uh, the Sermon on the Mount, generally speaking. A lot of people would describe it as that. Um, if you want to uh, spend a bit of time digging into it, reading it, it's Matthew chapter 5 through to Matthew chapter 7. It would perhaps be really helpful just to go back after all of this time and just read it through. 20-minute job maximum, that's even if you spend a bit of time just pondering on it. It's a, it's a fantastically uh, powerful um, piece of writing. Inevitably, what we see captured by Matthew, given that we can read it in such a short space of time, what Matthew has done is he has gathered the structure, the outline, the key points for us, if you like, the journey that Jesus takes his listeners on. And also I would suggest that given it, that it is the first uh, message that Jesus preaches in the, in the account of the Gospel of Matthew, it's pretty important, isn't it? It's something which, if you like, lays out the structure and foundations of what becomes Jesus' ministry through the rest of the Gospel. That's really helpful for us to think about it in that way. It's what Jesus says initially, which is then what Jesus lives. He, he goes on and he lives out what he declares to us. What we saw right at the very beginning is he encourages us to live an impossible life. That's one of the things that we see repeatedly. He calls us to do things and to live a pattern of life which is beyond our ability. That, in a sense, is a challenge, isn't it? And in another sense, it's an encouragement when we understand what the gospel is actually all about. When we realize we can't do it, in one sense, it means that we, need, we don't need just guidance and encouragement, do we? We need saving. It's one of the key things that we see as Jesus lays this out. He, he raises the bar to a point where we realize, I can't do this. <laughs> and Jesus says, no, but I can. Trust in me. What we saw a couple of weeks ago is that kind of a turning point where Jesus starts to say, okay, this is the pattern now, now we're looking at. Uh, how do we think about it? We come to this uh, little section, which in lots of ways, um, it, it captures metaphors which are, one would suggest that they're probably metaphors which are so popular in our way of thinking, maybe because Jesus first said them. But the idea of life being a journey is not particularly unusual to us. We see right at the very beginning that we see in verse 13, he says, enter through the narrow gate... For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So he's creating a distinction here. He's effectively saying to us 
There's a journey of life. There's two ways of journeying in that life. We're going to see in a few way, a few week, couple of weeks' time, well, actually, there might be more than two ways in a way. There's, there's kind of one way and then another way, but the other way might have two ways of living that one wide way, but we'll worry about that in a few weeks. Essentially, what he says is that there is a journey to life. It's something which just, we, we get that, don't we? We just, we instinctively connect with the idea of journeys. We connect with the idea also of journeys needing some sort of a guidance. We, we, we kind of look back, some of us who are, well, most of us here probably can still remember paper maps, kind of pre-Satnav, most of us can remember paper maps. Some of you won't remember what you do with them. They're just, you know, interesting things on the shelf or you've heard about them. Uh, But the paper maps were a source of great kind of amusement at one time. We're on this journey and, well, which way round was the map? And uh, and you realize that you're heading off in the wrong direction because you've got the map upside down and all of that kind of thing was really interesting. And you kind of look back at that and say, oh, that wouldn't happen anymore, would it? No, of course not because we've got sat-nav now. Sabine Morrow in uh, spring 2013 was going on a 30 mile journey to pick up her friend from her little town, a trip into Brussels to pick up her friend, a 67 year old lady. That probably isn't relevant, but adds to the picture. Um, 901 miles and two days later, she probably then realized that she'd got it wrong when she saw that she was arriving in Zagreb, Croatia. She traveled from her little town 901 miles. She'd had a couple of little sort of stops at the side of the road. Her son had phoned the police to report her missing. And two days later, she phoned to say, don't worry about me, but I am actually in Zagreb, Croatia. What are you doing in Croatia? How did you end up there? Well, I must have got a bit distracted, was the answer. I just think that's brilliant. I must have got a bit distracted for two days and 901 miles. I've got a bit distracted traveling through Austria, Germany, and into finally Croatia, Zagreb. It was the Z, there's no, you know, Zagreb. That's, where's that in relation to Brussels? Oh, maybe I'm in the wrong place. It's incredibly important, isn't it, on a journey to be very, very clear that we know where we are headed. We've got to know where we are going. Now, this lays out for us, firstly, I think there's three steps that we're going to take as we look through this little section that Jesus speaks to us. The first thing that he says is that life is a journey. You see what he says? He says that there is a journey to life and there are two pathways for that journey. Historically, Probably for 1,800 years post-Jesus, and even before that, for 
hundreds and hundreds of years, human beings had instinctively written into them the idea that life was a journey. There were all sorts of different ways of expressing it. In fact, the major religions of the world also consider life to be a journey. The idea of journeying, the idea of gathering on that journey life experiences and gathering those life experiences together forms at least some of the basis of many of the world's religions. However, in our generation, I would say increasingly, because we have reached the conclusion in our minds that this is everything there is, we have lost the concept that life is a journey. We increasingly have got to the idea that, well, the journey itself is all that there is, if you want to continue to use the metaphor of journey. It's just kind of the experience of the day, the moment. It doesn't have a beginning and end and a destination. It just has the experience during the time. I think it's even kind of, we can capture it in some of the, even in some of the TV programs, the kind of popular documentary kind of bordering on humorous. Um, If you saw the trip by, uh, with Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, they initially they tripped around various parts of the UK and it was a journey that they made in the UK as they travelled around various restaurants. They're now doing one in Italy where they're travelling around. And and the beginning and the end is, is irrelevant. Where they're going, in a sense, is irrelevant. It's the journey, it's the, the moments in time and the experiences that they gather that are key. That's where we are, not just in a little kind of cameo of a, a TV program. I think increasingly as human beings in, the Western, in West, the Western world, the society that we live in, where we are located, we think in that way. Life is all about just the moment. It's the experience now. It's what we gather now. It's how we find it now. And Jesus, in one sense... He's encouraging his first readers and hearers to understand at least a dimension of the journey that would make sense to them, that it was important to understand where they were headed, and that's important now. But for us, these words continue to be relevant to us, but in a different way, for us to say there is a destination. There is a destination. Look at what Jesus says. He says the road is not a road simply of experience. It is a road to two separate locations, in a sense. There is a place of destruction and there is a place of life. One of the things that Jesus wants to make sure that in 21st century uh, UK we understand that the journey is not everything. The journey is the process that moves us from here to our final, as many would describe it, our final, ultimate, eternal destination. It's where we're headed. 
I want to just suggest to you that that idea just changes everything in terms of how we engage with the issues of now. The good things. Now, Jesus is not saying, you know, it's just about getting there, you know, kind of just hunker down, get through, and it's all about getting there. He's actually saying the the process, the journey, the narrow way as he describes it, the narrow door, the narrow small door and the narrow way that, that takes us on that journey too, as he describes it, life is filled with those experiences. But the experiences are always in the context of the destination. Always are. They are not ultimate and powerful and and overriding of the destination. They are the journey that takes us to the destination. Now, the interesting thing then is that we can go through those very same experiences, can't we, on either the narrow road or the broad road. You know, the, the joys of life, the great experiences of life can be read either as an experience just to be lived and loved now or lived and loved now in the light of the God who has given the gift of that experience or the challenges of life we can fight through them now and that's all they are or we can see that there is hope beyond the pain of that experience this complex mix of joy and pain, it kind of tells us that life is a precious thing as well, doesn't it? Why do we love certain things and find certain other things so incredibly difficult and hard? If that's what life is all about anyway, why can we not reconcile that? Because life itself is a precious thing. We are made for life. Do you see the way Jesus ultimately describes this walk of life? He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Life. You see that? It's interesting, isn't it? He says, go on a journey through life to find life. (laughs) To, 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 To end up in the experience, in the knowledge, in the hope of life. Life is to be lived. We are made for life. And Jesus says your decision, your conscious door that you open, the gate that you go through, the pathway that you walk, does lead to one or the other. It leads to destruction or it leads to life. What does destruction mean? We're coming to that over these next few weeks. So the first thing that we see is that the journey, the road, is an essential aspect. Secondly, we see that our guide is critical. Our guide is critical. Jesus says with this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Here's the thing. One of the amazing concepts that God introduces to our human gaining of understanding of him is that we, in one sense, are dependent upon the intervention of other human beings. Isn't that a remarkable thing? Isn't it remarkable when we think about that? Just stop for a moment and think about that. Look, just stop for a moment and think about the whole stream of the Bible. The way the Bible has, has worked its way out throughout the history of, of how it has started at the beginning and works through to the end. How does God, the, the unseen, creator God, how does God communicate to human beings? It is mind-blowing that God decides that the way for him to communicate to human beings is at least partly using the instrument of other human beings. Now, those other human beings are inevitably dependent upon God engaging with them. So God comes in the, as we saw a year or so ago, we were looking at the life of Abraham and we see that God engages with Abraham, but Abraham then becomes the one who engages with others around him. We see that in the way in which God speaks through prophets in the Old Testament, those who he, they receive God's word and the, the word then becomes lived in those individuals who then become the connection, the way of engaging with that word. Ultimately, we see that God speaks in the person of Jesus. God speaks in an incarnate body through a living being. In other words, he fulfills everything that he described in a way by the pattern of being that he lived, that he, he, he delivered that message in the Old Testament. Right the way through the Old Testament, it's other human beings who are bringing God's word to humanity. And then ultimately, it is the divine human being, Jesus himself, who brings the ultimate revelation of God's word to human beings. And then what does he do? He says, right now, here are the 12 disciples, and one of them, uh, one of them rebels against Jesus and betrays him. And, and he is replaced after Jesus' death and resurrection with, with another. And, and this body of uh, human beings then become the body of human beings that Jesus works through by the power of the Holy Spirit as they speak to other human beings and as they speak to other human beings. And the message of God spreads throughout the world through human beings. Founded on what? Founded on the word of God that they receive. 
Do you see the pattern that Jesus uses in this world in which we live? How are you here today? (laughs) It's very rare. It's not completely outside of the possibility that there is a completely independent voice inside, work of God, which says you must be engaging with me. But then how do we engage with God? We engage with God through this kind of forum, through his word, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, absolutely, of course, all of that. But we learn through each other. Isn't that amazing that God is willing to do that? When you think about it, God could have done it in all sorts of other ways, couldn't he? God could have done it in all sorts of other ways. He could have, if you like, for every individual who becomes a follower of Jesus, he could have just zapped us, independent of any other human being. Why does he decide to use the instrument of weak, frail, failing human beings. Like people who use wrong words and don't quite get the full kind of accuracy of of what God is speaking and maybe have certain things that they emphasize when they shouldn't quite be emphasizing quite as much as they are. People like me who are doing all of that kind of thing, your friends who you're talking with. Why, Why does God do that? I think it's because he is pointing us to the fact that the ultimate revelation of God is through the ultimate human being, Jesus himself. Saying you need to understand that it is through this mechanism that I do it. So beware, Jesus says. Beware. Because there is going to enter into the message delivered in this world what he describes as ferocious wolves. That's a, that's a really powerful picture, isn't it? For, for a, 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 a shepherding community as Jesus was delivering the message to. Probably... As Jesus was speaking on a mountainside, almost without doubt, you probably would have been able to look around and see sheep dotted around, shepherds with small flocks dotted around as Jesus was saying this. It's going to come ferocious wolves, the kind of wolves that will tear to bits the sheep. There's all sorts of stuff going on at the moment. Oh, well, over the past, probably about the past 20 years, hasn't there? Uh, the beast of Bodmin and all of that kind of thing, you know. Have we got big cats out in our, in our um, countryside? And what's the evidence? Well, the evidence, supposedly, is the carcasses of ripped to bits sheep and lambs. It's such a powerful picture, isn't it? Jesus is using a metaphoric picture to say that incorrect, inaccurate communication of the message of God is just like being torn to shreds. That's powerful. And there are going to come those who are going to bring a message which will spiritually tear you to shreds and kill you. 
is what Jesus is saying. That's the powerful picture that he is bringing. And what's more, they don't look like ferocious wolves. They look like sheep. That is, I'll I'll be honest with you, when I read that, that is one of the most terrifying things, in a sense, for a preacher to hear. It really is. When you kind of, you look at that and you say, Father, please don't ever, ever allow me to be a ferocious wolf. Keep me from that because I, I need your help absolutely every day not to be a ferocious wolf because what's at stake is the life of your flock, the spiritual life of your flock. The picture is incredibly powerful. But he's saying to those who hear, you, you, (laughs) you have a responsibility to discern what you are listening to. There is not some sort of priestly authority that comes with an absolute authority to say, this is what it is. I haven't got that. Nobody who ever stands in this place has ever got that. It is upon those who listen to discern and to think and to consider, is this, is this a ferocious wolf that looks kind and looks gentle and is going to rip my spiritual life to shreds. How do I tell? How do I tell? And Jesus tells us. You'll tell them by their fruit. You'll tell them by their fruit. Is the deliverer of that message, the kind of deliverer that serves themselves? That's what Jesus, how Jesus, that's the way in which Jesus becomes the ultimate example of the good deliverer, of the message bringer who is not a wolf in sheep's clothing. He is never, never, never self-serving. When we look at how that fruit works its way out and the New Testament brings us all sorts of patterns of how the fruit of our lives becomes a a recognition of our commitment of who we are, then we see all sorts of different pictures. If you want to go and download, have a look at our Fruit of the Spirit series online. That's a good place to gain some input. But ultimately, it is about the life that Jesus lived. What did Jesus spend all of his life doing? What was the fruit that he brought into this world? The fruit that he brought into this world was that he spent the whole of his life pointing to his father. Every little bit of it was not about him. It was about his father. Now, he also says, I and my father are one. There is a mystery to who Jesus is in the sense that he is at at the same time the one God present with us. 
But he spends all of his time not pointing to himself, but pointing to Jesus. Every little fruit that comes out of that is how he points to God. How he points to his father. How he points to his father. Now here's the thing that I think is key. How how do we look at that and say, are we sure that what we're hearing is ultimately pointing to Jesus and not pointing to the individual who is the deliverer of that message? That's the key. That's the fruit. That's at least one of the fruits that becomes absolutely fundamental. Is this all about Jesus or is this all about this individual? On the decline is, thankfully, to some extent, it seems to me, it seems to me it's declining. I think the 80s and into the 90s was kind of a pinnacle for kind of wacky, crazy televangelist stuff, which was bringing in millions of dollars for the good of those who were speaking in many cases. In many cases. Not in all cases, but in many cases. Where is the fruit? Is it about Jesus? Is that the point? Is that the direction that we're being pointed? So in other words, where is this communicating voice? Is it a voice which feels as though it sits alongside us and shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, says, look over there? Or is it a voice that says, look here? But the responsibility is on the sheep. I want to make it really clear that that's the pattern of how the church, I believe, is then laid out in the New Testament. It is upon the church to listen to the voice of the one who is primarily speaking in this role or the others who are speaking in this role and say if there is a moment, not, not in our failing ways <laughs> and not getting it right at times as inevitably we do, but if ever there is a pattern that is emerging that says, oh, hang on a sec. I want to say that it is the responsibility of the church to slay the wolf before the wolf slays the sheep. That is absolutely the responsibility. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because if the guide is critical, the traveler is vital. Look at how it then continues. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Isn't that interesting? This journey, one leads to life, one leads to destruction. It seems the way Jesus unfolds these words is there is a moment where we are confronted with the final, ultimate reality. That moment where we are faced with an eternal destination. And it seems as Jesus unfolds this metaphor to the next stage, he says there is going to come a time at that point where there will be those who will assume and think that they have a place in eternal life and they won't have. They won't have. That's Wow, that's just... That, that is just kind of contrary, isn't it, to all of our 
21st century of ideas of God, who's a loving God, and, and all of those kind of things. That, that God, could God do that? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. <laughs> I just kind of grab straight away the idea of how we think about religion, doesn't it? Religion is all about if I live this, if I do this, if I perform this, I'll get to the point and then I've got all of the, re- all of, all of the reasons, this check sheet. It's almost like there is a check sheet that is being presented to God at the final day, isn't it? It's kind of, look at this. This is what we've done. We've prophesied in your name. We've driven out demons in your name. We've performed miracles in your name. They are like kind of gold star ways of living, aren't they? They're just like ticking the box at the very top. Remember when you're in school? I don't know whether you still do it, teachers. Do you still have stars that you stick on pages? Do you, or do you, you have stamps that you have sometimes? Yeah. Do you get, you get a smiley stamp? That's a major smiley stamp at the top of the page, isn't it? I've driven out demons. That's got to be a tick, isn't it? You've got to let me in with that. Isn't it absolutely astounding to realize that we can do many good things and those things do not qualify us for life eternal. Isn't that amazing? It is not about what we have done, it seems. That's an amazing turnaround from how many of us would think about faith. What does God say? What does Jesus say? I will tell them plainly. I never knew you. See, that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? It's not about what we've done. It's about whether we're known by God. Whether we're known by Jesus. That is the most amazing opportunity, isn't it? Is your faith founded on what you think you're doing or is it founded on the fact that you know God and God knows you it's just so it's about relationship therefore isn't it it's about relationship i know you to be known by known by God is the most amazing privilege that is extended to humanity by the person of Jesus. Do you see why God speaks through human beings again, ultimately to point us to the ultimate human being? Because Jesus came and knew in relationship his disciples. He knew those who followed him. He knew them. I'm just looking forward to a day, one day, when the experience of God is not a a distant experience from my point of view. It's not a distant experience from God's point of view at all. It's a distant experience 
from my point of view, many times, it's not, definitely not, what one day it will be. One day I'll really know when I see Jesus face to face that he knew me. And maybe you'll know that as well. He knows me. He just knows me. It's not about what I've done. It's about whether he knows me. I, I, I can, uh, that, that, in a strange way, you know, that can be so encouraging. You might feel as though the life that you're seeking to live, particularly in the light of much that we've said, is kind of, I just haven't got many of those smiley stamps on my page. Actually, my life is about lots of little crosses and encouragements to maybe think about it in this way and maybe think about that. We've, I'm kind of, you know, I look back to my, my exercise books in school and they were not a joy to look at. But I was bumbling along and I was kind of in there. But if I'm known by Jesus, my life can, can be that struggle. And I'm still known. It can, it can be that struggle. And at the end, when I, I'm turning up with no real success, as far as I look at it from a human point of view, I turn up and Jesus says, yeah, but I'm your success. My life is your success because I knew you. It's great news, isn't it? That, that is what we mean by God being a loving God. Not because he's willing to pretend that everything's fine, but because he's honest about the fact that things are not fine and stands in our place in our failure and becomes our success. I've mentioned this before. I've mentioned these next two things before. I think it's captured by, in, in the depth of it is captured by one of the most successful films of all time, Avatar. And you know, you've got these kind of big, tall, blue humanoid people who have a deeper connection with each other. It's not just about being friends. They have a really deep connection. They use a phrase, I see you. <laughs> and when they use that phrase, I see you, it conveys way, way more than just the physical sight of one to the other. There is, an, there is a deep intertwining. There is a deep relational connectedness that goes on when I see you. It is deep and meaningful and powerful and doesn't even come close to what it means when God says, I know you. There is a deep connectedness. It is so deep that the Bible goes on to describe that it is no less than the indwelling of the living God within those who trust in him by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how much Jesus is able to say, I know you. Rico Tice, who wrote Christianity Explored, gives a, a, a really poignant question that captures this little moment. Lord, Lord, I don't know you. Didn't we do this? But I don't know you away from me. He says, 
he face challenges us with a question. When you reach that moment of being confronted with the living God and imagine if we were asked the question, how may you come in to share eternal life with me? What's the right answer? He captures just this. He says, well, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Here's all the reasons. None of those are good enough. But if we're able to say, it's because of what Jesus has done. That's why you should let me in to eternal life, because what Jesus has done changes everything. So here's the thing. I really don't want any of us ever to do a spiritual Sabine Morrow. <laughs> I really don't want any of us to click into life our decision to head off in a direction, a journey which is actually profoundly wrong. I don't want any of us to go on that journey and to just disregard the signposts as they whiz by Austrian border <laughs> Croatian border not any of us ever to do that I want us to know that we are on a journey where we are all convinced that I am on the narrow way that leads to life I want us to know that 